Welcome to The Razor's Edge. I'm Daniel Schwarzman. I'm joined by Seeking Alpha author Akram's Razor, as always. The Razor's Edge features ideas that Akram has been studying or investing in personally as part of his Seeking Alpha Marketplace service, also called The Razor's Edge, and me asking questions about them or bringing my own generalist, sometimes behind the curve, take on things. We look at specific ideas, discuss how they might play out, and what research went into the thesis. If you're interested in more of those ideas, as well as up-to-date developments and a chance to swap thoughts and ideas with Akram and other investors, you can check out Akram's Marketplace service by typing Akram's Razor, A-K-R-A-M apostrophe S space Razor, or The Razor's Edge on the search bar on Seeking Alpha or going to the Marketplace. This week's topic, we're visiting an old short idea for Akram, pager duty. Before we launched this podcast, we spoke about Akram's pager duty short, that's ticker symbol PD, on Behind the Idea, a different Seeking Alpha podcast, last July. The company looked stuck between a rock and a hard place, given its valuation and the threat of Atlassian and other competitors in the on-call space. The short call worked, and the stock traded 50% lower by November, more or less the level it's at now. But what's that I hear? Is that the other side of the trade's music? Did Akram recently go long the stock? And if so, why? We're going to look at the elements of the short thesis and how that may have paved the way for a long idea here and why we're at that position. Before we begin, a quick disclaimer and disclosure. The Razor's Edge is a podcast and Seeking Alpha is the Investing Edge channel. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. We'll disclose any positions in any stocks discussed at the end of the podcast, but Akram is long PD and I don't think I'm long any of the SaaS names that might come up. We're recording this on February 14th. So Akram, good morning. Good morning, Daniel. So yeah, so you, as part of your once upon a time in tech piece from last year, you followed up with a presentation on why PagerDuty was short. And it was essentially, as I understood it, based on three things. It was based on the increasing, the fact that the greenfield part of SaaS software as a service was kind of over and there was increasing competition in overlapping verticals and specifically Atlassian had bought Ops Genie. You had, I think you mentioned Splunk had Victor Ops. There was another competitor called X Matters. There was some gaming going around PagerDuty's pricing. It wasn't clear how much customer concentration they had, who was getting the right price. So that was a question mark as far as what their true durable growth might be and then their valuation was pretty high the valuation we'll get to last that's obvious the stock trades about 21 bucks a share it was at in the high 40s i think when you covered it but let's go into the competition what what do you think uh, you were concerned about the competition about six to nine months ago what what is your what are you hearing now or what what is your take on the space for PagerDuty? Well, look, I mean, competitively, I mean, if you go back to the whole broader broader strokes of once, a time, once upon a time in tech and software, the challenge was that you had a, a lot of these smaller, more point product focused, if we could call it point product, I guess, software names going public at very high valuations that, you know, made uh, the other names in software you know look 
relatively very attractive. If we go back at the time, you know, you're comparing like Salesforce's to Zoom and CrowdStrike and Slack multiples out the gate, stuff like Dropbox, which had gone through their issues. And, you know, PagerDuty kind of fit into that very neatly. And the timing wise for where when they were IPOing was coinciding with an uptick in competition from public SaaS companies. In this case, both on the monitoring end and also on the collaboration end in a, you know, between Splunk on monitoring and, and Atlassian on collaboration. So the argument was pretty straightforward that you had a, what was it, probably a 25 times sales stock at the time with competitors coming in that had significantly greater resources, established uh, customer penetration, and that that would be kind of, you know, problematic slowdown down the growth. They also had a dynamic where they changed their their pricing structure tiers in the pre-IPO window. So I guess it was, when did they change it? October of 18? October, November 18. So, I mean, that whole landscape in that space kind of settled out around... Uh, uh, late summer, early fall of 18. You, you know, I think Victor Ops was acquired by Splunk in June. Uh, and could you just the, rem- remind us what what is the space specifically? They're they're on call, so they're basically what they're providing alerts to IT teams. I mean, the core the core market is DevOps IT teams on demand services and essentially being all on call. And you know this shifting culture in tech of you know you build it you run it you own it right so engineers essentially being on call for uh, all services that they're responsible for you know 24/7 that because outages are financially unacceptable the losses you suffer from even the slightest downtime right whether it's in e-commerce streaming uh any type of services you think about this is basically an invention of the SaaS era right because before when you have on-premise software you might have patches or you might have like buggy software but you don't like because it's all distributed you need to be all the more plugged into this stuff yeah if you look if you look at microservices and you've distributed your architecture you know, there are benefits to it. And one of the drawdowns is you have to monitor everything. Mm-hmm. And they are, they are a secular play on that. The people who started it, you know, they got the idea from essentially being on pager duty when they worked at Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. So they took, they took essentially what was that concept and turned it into a SaaS. And they, they, they've done really well, you know, from a first mover advantage. They're definitely the only real player in the space up until the point when 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 we had done the short short the short thesis the the revenue of the competitors was negligible right i mean if you, you can, i think elastian did recently disclose uh, the uh numbers on when they acquired uh 
ops genie and I, th I think you know the the deferred revenue that they'd bought was like 1.5 million I mean, ops genie was tiny right probably paid over 20 times the revenue for that so very small in comparison to pager duty um, and victor ops also very small so yeah i mean pager duty has had the most significant market share in, in that space and uh the i mean the thesis was that here comes atlassian they, they can make it free they can make it cheap splunk can integrate it with monitoring and uh, pricing being really aggressive because look uh, PagerDuty has really high gross margins on paper it looks really nice right i mean if you look at the the 60 plus software SaaS cloud companies they're number one as far as gross margins you know they're literally right at the top of the list so it's a business that in theory will provide you significant operating leverage over time. You, you, you got to be thinking really high EBITDA margins. But in theory, in theory, if you can have such high gross margins, it means there's probably the first counter reaction is that there's probably not a lot proprietary or special there because unless it's exactly. Yeah. Which is what we go back to, right? Which was the, the initial short thesis is like, it's, you know, it's a Twilio hackathon app right? You're, you're just waking somebody up. And it's part of an incident resolution process. I mean, if you just think about the core on call functionality, right? I'm literally setting up, you know, uh, a triage of, you know, ring this person, SMS that person, and call that person in, in this sequence if, if, when an incident happens. And then you're hopping on Slack or you're doing a Zoom, uh, like a Zoom conference, you're using uh, Jira Service Desk to ticket the incident, you know, post post incident mortems, and, and so on and so forth. So, it, it it's part of a process that involves several other collaboration slash, you know, IT service management applications, right? And the argument is that once someone like Atlassian comes in there, they can integrate these things more and they could essentially give it away for free in theory, which makes your life a lot harder. And so, it, you know, we can kind of guess where you're going to go based on you having a position, but what, how did this play out? Why, why do you not, has this not played well, out? Look, I mean, so, so they cut the pricing really aggressively they being Atlassian and Atlassian and then followed by uh, Splunk. Okay. And like they were running the promotions on, on the website, you know, uh, sh with a calculator for volume discounts and how low they're basically willing to go. And you, you pretty much, you know, had the assumption that this is going to be extremely problematic for pager duty. And, in terms of my research, it really hasn't been. So, you know, what I ended up doing was talking to customers just recently, like essentially uh, a checkup on how things have fared, you know, almost a year, a year later, right? 
these price changes were like May, you know, I started doing these calls in January. And I was just very surprised from the customer calls on, I guess, really how sticky the, the, the on-call product is once it's in place. And to a degree, the, the, the network effect they've, they've kind of had as being a first mover leader. I guess if you wanted to sum it up in that, right? Because we look at this application and you're like, it's so easy to build, like, how are they charging 30 plus dollars a month per, per user, you know, three times nearly, you know, what Microsoft Office is going for, right? And that they're going to see pricing pressure. And I mean, you, you, ha you have the evidence, you know, in terms of uh, Atlassian, you know, advertising that their enterprise offering is $29.99. And these guys had an enterprise offering at $99.99. And, you know, since then, they've changed things multiple times. They, they changed the pricing on the enterprise. They pulled it to, to call us. Then they came back. And then they, they just rebranded everything into digital operations package. So... I would say that they, the competition has has forced them to rethink or uh, reposition somewhat how, from a self serve standpoint, the the they're advertising the product. Right? I mean, there's definitely an impact there. But I mean, if you talk to engineers, you get a like a resounding. Uh, this is not something. <laughs> we we're looking to replace type of uh, response. Well, it's is it, them. I, it's the nature of the product is essentially that it is. It's basically like, oh shit! Like we've got to fix something, and you don't want to mess around with that part of your. Yeah, product. so that's definitely I would say the strongest argument, right? Yeah. I mean, I talked to someone at a lead person at you know arguably one probably a page of biggest customers mm. massive software company and he i mean he was just walking me through the fact that like you know on a major 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 incident like you know you have like one million types of alerts going off that you would even blow out page api gateway right so they have their own homegrown element to handle something of you know like catastrophic incident scale but his his emphasis was that it's so deeply integrated in what they do and 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 this person was telling me that they're only using it for for on call right so they're not using the greater bundle because i mean PagerDuty is giving you this event intelligence modern incident response you know they're they're upselling, right? And that by the fact that they they sit as a as a central nervous system, they've been collecting so much data on incidents that they have predictive AI based abilities, AI ops, you know, and they're selling that to to customers in the sense that not just response, but actually proactively being able to anticipate something going wrong before it happens. So th that is a message from a product standpoint, like that they're trying to get across and that, that we're not this, you know, one trick pony, just paging, you know, 
people who are on call. We're not, you know, we're not a digital pager. But with respect to the actual core on-call product and talking to this customer, he was just like, it's the last thing. It's like, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't mess with your fire alarm, right? right? Like, unless it breaks, right? So because a product like this has tons of integrations, right? Once you install it and you integrate it with all your other applications that you're monitoring, replacing it is laborious. And it, it's, in theory, I guess disruptive right to day-to-day -day operations that it's it's just not something you're looking to do which is from a product standpoint a good position to be in if not really maybe the best i mean it, I, I had one of them tell me it was like it's literally the last thing we'd consider replacing <laughs> you know well and it's so that's there are a couple things that come to mind there that uh, a colleague of mine, Mark Pentakoff, wrote an article on PagerDuty and talked, sort of quoted the company's calls, and they talked about the integrations. They also talked about the the neutrality, which we've talked about in the past with in the context of Roku and of a couple other companies. But the idea of maybe they're sort of a neutral player here, and so they you can integrate them with Atlassian or I'm going to get this wrong as far as the integrations Atlassian or Slack or whatever else that you need and they can kind of operate on their own. So I wonder if that's part of it. But then the other thing I wonder is if you're hearing anything as far as new business, because it makes sense that they'd be tough to dislodge, but, uh, and they say another thing that in that article, they say that they are not seeing competition with a large enterprise really. I'm curious if you're hearing anything about do any of these new competitors crowd them out in terms of bringing new people on or are they still kind of, is their win rate still pretty strong or what do you, what do you hear? Well, I mean, what the company tells you, which is the only thing we have to go on officially mm -hmm. is they they're in good shape and they don't have competition at the, uh, at, let's call it the enterprise level. I mean, they pretty much say that they see no competition, right? Mm -hmm. But I think definitely at the larger enterprise level, that's true. It, like you, I haven't been able to find anything of note there. It's, I mean, they're in, as of last quarter, 58 of the Fortune 100, right? And they're in you know, almost 48% of the, for, the Fortune 500. So when you consider their, their penetration there at scale, right, they're the best choice. I mean, if you throw off a brand name, they're using it, right? That's, that's definitely where they have good position. For them, it's about expanding within those places where they already have presence. And that's just kind of natural thing that from being the first mover that works in their favor. So I don't think when you think of new business for them, it's really a big deal on new logos, but more so the just organic secular growth story that goes on and on call, on demand and monitoring. And as that expands within the enterprises where they're already at, the, the seat counts go up. So one of the other, I want to get into 
what that might mean for some of these other competitors because that was an interesting part of our last conversation about this. But first, you talked about the pricing before and how they they sort of, you know, you said they, I forget if they dropped the pricing before their IPO or if they raised it and they they kind of played some games as far as how they publicized their pricing. They changed, they changed the tiers is what okay. they did, right? right? So they pulled certain functionality that existed in one tier out and moved it into another. And they sweetened the highest tier by bundling it, their, their, uh, you know, I think visibility, intelligence, and, and incident response add-ons into the enterprise. That was the first thing they do, which they now call digital operations, right? So they took something out of the core one, lowered that price, gave you something else in the other one, kicked that price up, and from a pre-IPO standpoint, the argument was, from at least at the time, that this would impact dollar-based uh, net retention. It would boost it before IPO because you're almost catalyzing uh, seat expansion, that better pricing with pre-existing functionality before this change, right? Yeah, so that's like if you want to look at what's been critical of the stock from when they last reported and what the analysts focused on is the dollar-based net retention dipping to 128%. And I mean, I think it's been as, it'd been as high as 140, right? So that was something that was focused on right. as a, you know, a concern from the sell side and the way they addressed it. I mean, the, their argument was that they had weaker sales productivity because they onboarded a lot of new reps who are not as productive as the existing reps. And in general, just noise. They have not commented on the fact that maybe they're just comping against tougher numbers. Also, they did churn off Splunk and Atlassian who moved to the products they've acquired, right? Right. So it's kind of natural. I mean, going back to the short... That was part of the, you know, it's a gimme, right? <laughs> These, those numbers are going to go down, and th- those are numbers that the sell side focused on. And in narrative momentum-based tech investing, when a, a, a key metric that's tracked uh, starts going in the wrong direction, you get exaggerated stock price movement uh, that seems to go in that direction. Even if it's only temporary or really not that much indicative of anything in the sense that it was boosted before the IPO and it's just kind of leveling off 128% is still, is still really good from a a net dollar retention basis. But if the stock is going to work, you want to see that going in the other direction. Right. Particularly when you're dealing with high valuation stocks. So, the short of it is that you think that that's played out and that they're given that they're holding on competitively. It just hasn't now that you're kind of over the tough comp, it hasn't really been a major, it doesn't look like it'll be a major factor or will continue to go in the wrong direction. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be a major problem. I, it, it's tough to, to, to figure out where it settles, but I would, I would assume, you know, North of one twenty, right. Mm-hmm right around there uh whether that's going to get i mean it's a tricky stock in in the sense of 
you know, getting super excited about it, right? It's not going to grow at an eye-popping growth rate for a, a, a short period of time. I mean, that was also part of the short thesis. What I would say has changed, in, in my view, is that it will grow at, let's call it a 20% type CAGR for an extended period of time from a secular dynamic. This is just like, I mean, they're, they're now starting to do, they have a pilot with municipality, a top 21 they called out on their call, and I think they, maybe they're doing another one with you know, power and water. You've got them entering into uh, customer service from an on-call standpoint, security ops. So it's, it's, it's the use cases for on-demand and it, as far as supporting you know, digital services with microservice type architecture is, it's just a, it's a great secular theme. It's, it's, this is not something that's going to shrink. It's just going to continue to grow, right? That's where, that's where I wanted to jump in about the other, when you had framed this the first time, you had made this a point that this was sort of an imperative for, I don't know if you put it in those terms, but for Atlassian to, and other peers, let's say Splunk or whoever else, to make sure that PagerDuty didn't expand their beachhead because then all of a sudden that really affects what they're able to do in the long term. And so they kind of had to knock out or limit PagerDuty before they took up too much territory. And it seems like that hasn't played out, as you've said. So what does that mean for... Yeah, correct. So that's where you, like, that's when you look at this thing and you say, you know, because in existing clients, they're so sticky. And because their existing client base is the blue chip enterprises, their ability to expand the upsell and cross-sell is going to be tough to overcome. So it's, they're kind of just going to have to deal with it is what you're saying. Yeah. I'm just saying that from, from a standpoint of, displacing them which you i mean you, you can slow down the growth and there's there's obviously uh competitors in the market now i mean ops genie did call out that they they added you know a thousand customers and they were ops genie did get in a recently re- released report uh the uh okta you know business 2020 uh, app stat statistics, you know, they called out uh, Ops Genie as the second fastest grower behind uh, Snowflake, right? Hmm. It had them up like 170%. But you got to take that with a grain of salt because Ops Genie's base is negligible. And they initially, Atlassian had Jira Ops which they essentially folded into Ops Genie, right? So it's, statistically speaking, maybe a misleading uh, data point as far as getting excited about it. Because from a logo, from a logo standpoint, I, I, I really have not seen no- notable wins uh, for Ops Genie. Well, and it, so I, I think, we're setting up to kind of talk about valuation, but you're talking about, let's say that 
Beijer Duty has sort of established their beachhead. They've got a, a 120% plus dollar retention rate, which essentially, correct me if I'm misunderstanding, but essentially means that they're upselling at a 20% rate a year or better. And so, and not losing customers. So that's, that's maybe not, let's say, CrowdStrike well, I mean, or whatever. That's, but that's net, that's net of churn, yeah. So. Right. So, right. So net of churn, they're, they're adding 20% plus revenue from their existing customers. So they don't even need to win new customers to have a decent growth rate. And if, again, not, not a CrowdStrike or a Zoom or whatever, but a decent growth rate. And they, you know, they're trading at something close to six times forwards EV to sales and, they're pretty close to free cash flow even. I think they're like just under free cash flow even. And so that's sort of the setup. I mean, is that is that essentially where this becomes interesting or are you seeing other things here or seeing this differently as far as pager duty from the long side now? Well, I mean, when we get into the valuation, that's obviously a huge driver here, right? I mean, if you look at where the stock is trading today, uh, $21 year against you know current consensus estimates for this coming year let's let's you you're in the 5 5 times ev range 5 to 6 essentially speaking on a forward multiple basis and uh, i mean show me what saas names are trading there I mean, even in remotely in the neighborhood, right? We could argue if SaaS valuations were half what they are today, that that's justified. But look at where valuations have gone in the last two months. That's that's obviously part of the challenge as far as... Uh, there's no doubt that there are some concerns that you're comes with investing in anything in software. And in this case, it's just, you know, how big is your TAM? How fast do you grow? But, I mean, how are they trading right now with like eight times eight times trailing revenue with 85% gross margins and 37% revenue growth last quarter? What do you think the, what is the market still? Is it still all about that? net dollar retention number going in the wrong direction or what? Because it's been kind of, like I said, for the last three months, it's sort of been in the, since I guess the last report, it's been in the same range. What, what do you think? Well, I would say the stock has been actually notably weaker the last two weeks. I mean, the only notable piece of news I think that came out since then was the Okta report on Ops Genie. There was also a couple of days ago uh, a TechCrunch article on uh, Facebook Workplace co-founder starting a company uh, to put fires out called uh, maybe Kibana or something. I don't remember what it was called. Kibana something. Kibana's existing. I feel like Kibana might be... I mean, we actually use them. I feel like they might be part of Elastic. I might confuse them with something else. So something else. I mean, there's so many names here. Right. I, I even get confused. <laughs> but the I'd read the article and I saw that they you know raised some money and like w- when I was reading it, they their argument was, you know, we're gonna do more than just 
alert you and it's a whole comprehensive solution and you're just like okay i mean you're late to the party right <laughs> because you got to go get people who are already adapted something to start changing who it turns out when it comes to this type of product it's just not a priority by the way the the company i think you're referring to is kintaba kintaba there you go close which, <laughs> which yeah i and i know there's another company in here called asana apparently blockchain is involved here so you know your mileage may vary yeah asana's uh, what's his name zuckerberg's uh Dustin Moskowitz, Co- yeah. yeah. Co-founder. So that's your, your Atlassian competitor. So, okay, so... Yeah, I mean, so those are, those are your negatives. Another negative to think about, which, I mean, you know, if, if you're going to be very short-term oriented, is the qu- their quarter did close January 31st, right? And since their quarter closed, the stock has been trading really shitty. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, I've seen this a lot of times in stocks where maybe the results weren't fantastic and there's leakage, right? And you got to be thinking with, it, with, an IP, with an IPO, it's possibly even worse because maybe people aren't as uh, sophisticated on how it trades and they just think, you know, you know uh, our numbers are good, but not great and wall street was upset about this last quarter they're not going to get super enthused about this so maybe sell the stock because there's a, the other argument also is i mean negative momentum I mean, this is a momentum market and until the negative momentum breaks you will get these stocks that just you know can occasionally trade way out of line with the sector but i mean you pay attention when 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 a name diverges from a sector I mean, this is the worst performing name other than Jumia, right? I mean, both of them were shorts I did. Both of them actually IPO'd on the same day. And as we were talking about earlier, both of them have Andre Iguodala as an investor, which is kind of funny. But, I mean, this, this thing over six months is, is down, you know, 40%, 50%. So it's glaring in terms of the underperformance. I mean, I understand Jumia's problem as a business That's and, and where it was trading. It deserves to trade where it trades. And that was part of the thesis there. That was just like, this thing is a, is a joke. Can't take it seriously. But my short thesis on PagerDuty, you know, that's nothing fundamentally wrong <laughs> with a business. I'm, you know, attractive secular theme, but we were making a the valuation was way out of whack uh, and the setup was horrible, right? You don't want to buy one of these where they just boosted everything into the IPO and they're going to, they're going to hit a drag post IPO public market trading like, like Slack, right? I mean, Slack kind of went public at peak Microsoft teams height, but look at Slack the last couple of weeks. It's shaken it off. You know, Slack is, I mean, it's up another 4% today. Uh, it's been up a lot the last two weeks. Uh, you're, you're, you're approaching, you know, a 40% rally in the stock in three weeks, right? And there's been nothing material. That rumor over IBM. 
but yeah that was just stupid okay i mean it's the it, it's been well known that ibm uh, has been a customer for ages and you could figure that out in two seconds uh what what i don't think they clarified really well was how much did the like i mean they had put ibm at like 160,000 or something customers users active users and supposedly now it's going to the full 350k mm -hmm. but they don't tell you like well, what are the actives right so it's been made available to every ibm user so how much have you essentially expanded within ibm because because adding the rest of ibm's users is effectively speaking like adding an ibm <laughs> companies that big right so i mean like oracle went wall to wall with them and you know it's smaller than ibm i think it's in the you know 120,000 range or something uh, on on users but that's something that you look at i mean if if slack stock is going to bounce back 40% then it's not like these microsoft teams you know bundled with office concerns have gone away and slack was already expensive it's not i mean despite its hit you know you're still looking at a high 20 trailing multiple now i mean it did get down to the point where maybe it was you know at the low of the year i think slack was about 15 times forward so when when you look at pager duty okay fine if you can alleviate the competitive concerns just to the degree of that hey you're not you're not knocking these guys out in the fortune 500 and because they're already embedded there um, they're going to grow 20% CAGR for five years I, I like the stock right you had mentioned that before I mean compare it to Everbridge right Everbridge overlaps here they do some IT alerting the core business is like 60% population alerting essentially notifications sms and whatnot uh and if pager duty traded like everbridge it's a hundred percent upside from here and they're roughly the same size on a revenue base uh, one's going to do about like close to 170 million one's going to do about 200 million for this year right and pager duty last quarter was 37 percent organic growth Everbridge's most recent quarter is, I'd say, 28, 29% organic growth, uh, a little bit higher with, with the acquisition they did, uh, like 32, 32, 33%, but organically growing slower, much lower gross margins. You know, you're talking about 60% versus 85% for pager duty. You know, slap, slap Everbridge's multiple on pager duty, and, and pager duty is a $40 stock what are you watching for is this is this sort of a relative value just hold until things shake out or are you looking you kind of were a little concerned about the quarter just from that sort of due diligence or what well my point on the quarter with where it's trading is who really cares right now if you're buying it down here i mean they they delivered results in mid-december so you're talking they were halfway through the quarter already when they gave you their guidance. Uh, when you consider the way SaaS companies work, it's hard to miss by much, right? 
And it's not like they gave you some aggressive guide. So I don't necessarily think this is like a company you're talking about, like some notable negative surprise. I, you can't you can't rule anything out at the end of the day in terms of, you know, maybe the, maybe they're light a million dollars from what people were hoping for. But it's it's not trading at forty dollars. You've got a little bit more room for mistake margin. Well, if you just if you this goes back to what we were just discussing with Slack, I mean, it, it, or or Zoom or, or or any name, there's just been arbitrary re-rates. You know, the the market seems to cycle through these. Okay, so Slack was maybe maybe the worst trading of the bunch in, in this space for the last six months. And even when we had this really nice rally to start January, you know, and people are buying your service nows and uh, Atlassians and Copas and Rings and all these other names that have been, you know, a very positive momentum. And then you have, you have ones that were kind of in the middle, like a Twilio or whatnot. But Slack was at the bottom, 100%, because... Every day, someone's bitching or concerned about Microsoft Teams and what's going on there, right? And the announcements that come out of them. So that stock managed to shake that off. And when you look at that, comparatively speaking to, to PagerDuty, I'm, I'm less concerned about PagerDuty's competition than I am about Slack. Okay, that's a, that's a good, that's a good, yeah. Good comparison. Right? So if you were to think about it from that standpoint, that because one, I'm, I'm going to be using a lot more users for everybody doing chat. And I mean, you got to think these th things do overlap too, right? As the chat apps expand, that's more people who can resolve incidents with workplace chat. And that, that makes it very easy to, you know, add more people into on-call because the primary tool, you know, for incident response resolution tends to be Slack, right. at least DevOps engineers. So when you, when you think about that and you say, okay, well, I mean, Slack is re-rating significantly higher and PagerDuty is getting nothing. So, so it's essentially just, it's not, there's not like a catalyst. It's just at some point the market has to, it's just going to figure it out again and, and, grade on the same curve that they're grading some of these other companies. I mean, look, I mean, going back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, neutrality, this is an ideal acquisition candidate, right? It's, it's not hard to look at this name and say it works really well as part of a broader suite being sold. You know, why do you have sales reps just selling this product when let's say if service now bought it, you know, the ServiceNow rep can sell, you know, everything ServiceNow is selling in, in IT service management. And now ServiceNow is, is doing a lot more in ops. And they did buy like a little AI ops startup. The monitoring space is hot, right? I mean, you've seen how, how well Splunk and Datadog have been doing. There's no doubt everyone's in love with that theme. So when you look at it, at where it trades right now, Right. Yeah. And that's where I know I always come back to the same sort of boring non-tech themes, but I do the fact that they're not burning a ton of cash. They've got a healthy balance sheet. They've like, they should be, they should have some control over their own destiny 
assuming that they've managed to hold their own competitively, which is where. Well, look, this is will be significantly free cash flow positive company. That's not an issue. What, what I'm saying is that if you bundle this in uh, a bigger software company, uh, uh, th- that subscription revenue is going right to the bottom line. Right. Yeah. No. I mean. Yeah. It totally makes sense. Because because having this having this this sales overhead and R and D overhead spread out across this product. I mean, you got to think about how they grow. Right. They get into a place, and you you may have one small team, and then an, another small team, and there there is a there is an element where like they'll they'll get a customer that may may take up to 10,000 users and that's very step function for them right where they decide to just expand it and roll it out significantly so you can't really look at this thing from a from a very linearity smooth standpoint in the way some other software companies may grow because what moves the needle for them is a significant use case expansion inside an already established customer, right? Because the product integrations are already there. Uh, you're doing the monitoring again. It's just if you're going to expand it, you know, when you start thinking about, hey, this is, can be used by a customer service team or a security team, that that when one of those decisions is made uh, and you add a significant amount of users, you may get a spike. And that's where you get into the, the noise of the way these stocks trade because I mean, when you look at how they guide and what they've been delivering, uh, you know, like this is a company that if revenues come ahead by a million dollars or a million and a half dollars, the stock significantly jumps, which seems ridiculous because what what are you doing a quarter? You know, you're up to like 40, 44, 45 million. You get to, you get a quarter where you signed a significant deal and the thing re-rates 30% higher. So you're, you're kind of, you're, you're playing that game with a stock like this where it, you, you're, you're, not, you're not modeling it from a standpoint of, I mean, when you think about it from a short perspective and you say, okay, well, they, they won this large deal and that's a tough comp and the organic rate is tougher and pricing plays into a factor. But you can flip that around from the long perspective and say, well, you know, every once in a while, they're going to have a quarter where they do significantly better than expected because they're so sensitive to one decent deployment here and there at this size. And that moves the needle. So I think that's one thing when you look at it, you, you have to be comfortable with the long-term story and the long-term story in in monitoring and on-demand services and just you know the pervasiveness of on-call in 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 digital transformations is very strong and that's where you go back to the very beginning when you you, like you talk to the customers and i mean i talked to 10 fortune 500 customers and most of them were fortune 100 and when you just come away being like all right like nobody's going to be replacing this to save $300,000. It's just not a priority for these right. uh, blue chip enterprises. 
and it's it's a product where i mean i had one guy who actually made a good point he's like look this is like every devops engineer's startup dream of like why didn't i think of that it's so easy right i can just build this thing and there's been a lot of little ones that have been built it's just it's not hard to build it in theory to create uh, a paging app with you know rules and uh on top of, I guess, Twilio API, and you think that you, you do that and you've created a billion dollar business, right? And the reality is, and this person pointed out, is that, you know, I, and he's even, he even told me that he's, he, he had a mutual friend with a startup come and be like, hey, you know, we'd be willing to do this for you guys. And it's like, dude, that's not happening. <laughs> it's, you're better off focusing on on anything else because we it, there's a reliability element when you put something like this in place that you don't want to experiment with something else, particularly a startup, right? Once it, once it's already there, because you're disrupting your operations if anything go goes wrong. So when you go back to this network effect argument, which I had been skeptical of on them in the first place. Because so many people, so many let's say, people, enterprises are getting into uh, the DevOps culture for their business transformations, when they hire, they hire from these like blue chip tech companies, you know, engineers to build out this functionality. And what were those engineers using? Right. They were using PagerDuty, right? And when they make their selection, they're biased to go in that direction because they're familiar with it, they know it's reliable, they know it's best in class. So if you're Goldman Sachs and you're going this direction, they did call out they had two, two investment banks and two uh, of the top three defense contractors sign up as customers. And when you think about it from what, they, what they're saying on the call as far as their competitive positioning and that they're seeing no competition, uh, and then you talk to actual people using the product or responsible for building out this uh, organization or whatever you want to call it, uh, transformation within companies that haven't typically adapted this stuff, they, it, it's, it, it makes sense that the incumbent where that can say, you know, Disney and Netflix and Electronic Arts and a Walmart and Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines and blah, 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 blah are all using our product. It's, it's a hard sell to be like, hey, you know, try, try our version, which is 40% less, but just as good. It's like, well, yeah, but I mean, you know, our concern here is that this thing never goes down and never has an issue. And that was part of the thesis that once you once an Atlassian steps in and buys uh, an Ops Genie, people get more comfortable with Atlassian behind it. But you still have this pervasiveness to overcome where they're already embedded. And I think that's the challenge. And I, 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 don't, see, I don't see how, and just when you think about startups, like I just don't see how you make progress over time when they're already in that position. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a really interesting 
just when you step back and look at the evolution of this thesis and I, valuation is always the easiest thing to kind of point out. And that's why, you know, you mentioned not going for strict valuation shorts. And I think that's a common mistake to just short on valuation. And likewise, value traps are just the same. It's just interesting when you get into that competitive dynamic and sort of the stickiness and the primacy of their business and how important that is to companies who've gotten used to it. And just in our SaaS world where everything is delivered through the cloud and everything, and we expect 24-7 uptime and reliability, this is something that makes it really important. Obviously, there are other services that are important as well. But so, yeah, really interesting to see how this thesis is kind of turned around. I mean, I think also when you're looking at from investing in today's landscape and the just raw momentum that has gone on in software, and you think, hey, I'm, I'm going to buy something that I'm more likely than not going to make money on to, if I'm holding it in, in six you know, to 12 months because right now it's had this issue and that issue and these concerns and, and I'm paying. I mean, you're paying uh, essentially a non-SAS multiple, right? So it's, it's one of those where like, that's why when you go back to Everbridge or when you go back to Slack, you're like, look, we can have this debate on how fast it's going to grow and uh, the metric pressure in comparison to the year-over-year numbers, right? But it's not trading anywhere near where that's kind of relevant. So at the current price of $21, you know, I, I, I can still make an argument that if this the sensitivity of this thing changes in the other direction, it can be as high as 50 to 100% higher based, based on, on an easy comparison in terms of uh, a company like Everbridge. I mean, Everbridge is, is a straightforward comp. The difference is it's, it's not a recent IPO, so it's got a different type of investor base in it. And I think that's, that, that's something to overcome today in SaaS is that there's so many software names you can buy that the ones that run into issues when they're not working will trade at significantly distressed multiples for stretches that seemingly make no sense. And if you talk to investors, they're like, I don't want to own value SaaS, right? I mean, right. why would I own value SaaS when I can go buy Zoom? Or why would I own value SaaS when I can go buy service now? When I just know, I know they're growing, I know they're executing. I can't see anything in the in the immediate term that disrupts that, and I'm going to stick with that till, you know, one day they they miss by a hair on something and the stock falls twenty percent. So, it's it's I think it's the it's the way investors approach these that that's when you get these opportunities to look at where it's like, is this a broken business? If it's not a broken business, then I can buy it here and I'm probably going to have to endure, you know, maybe one or two more quarters of digestion. But if it starts working, I can make 50% versus the hot names right now. How are you going to make 50% in them in six months considering they've rallied 
you know, 30, 40, 50% in the last, you know, 60 days. I mean, you could have bought Zoom in the low 60s, it's 90. So, and this is a stock where nothing changes. You know, people are comfortable with it. Slack, you know, it was 20, it's now 28. And again, nothing's really changed in the narrative. For whatever reason, people start to feel more comfortable with the fact that eh, Microsoft Teams isn't going to kill it, and we're we're kind of over that. And once the once the stock starts trading with the view that hey, that's really kind of not that big of a deal anymore, mm-hmm. you know, you make money. So I don't know. I don't. I mean, I don't know what triggers it. That's for sure. I mean, it's definitely. The, the way it's traded. And it's also not exactly the most liquid name either. So that, that's another thing where you can kind of get an exaggerated move. But people love the CEO too, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's a woman, Jennifer Tejada, good reputation, definitely celebrated. And uh, that's really had no effect either. I mean, I do wonder if they, if, if they have considered selling the business because I, I can't see how and I, I've had conversations on this, you know, so like even some of the competition is surprised that ServiceNow hasn't just come in and bought this because where it's at, I mean, and, and now with ServiceNow's valuation where it's at, I mean, you look at this and you're like, what are you going to be paying? I mean, you could probably get a deal done for a, a two, two to two and a half billion enterprise value, which, you know, is 40 to 75% stock upside for anyone buying it at this price. And I don't think you'd have uh, a suitor who'd have an issue paying that. Yeah, I hear you. I, I, I think that's I think that's a good place to stop because I think it kind of summarizes the where pager duty is. It's just kind of has some latent upside if a couple things go right and as you said, a lot of the downside has already been bleeded out. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not look, it's not sexy. Right, value SaaS. I don't think it's 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 not one of those bu- bu- bulletproof. But I would also wouldn't you know I wouldn't go so far okay. as to lump it into yeah. value SaaS is like Dropbox, right? And which has its, its its pure controversy. This one, you're not looking at it and saying, "Hey, this is a, a runoff type of business, and I'm paying this multiple, and I I buy this revenue, and I get this synergy, and it it, it adds up." Like this is still an extremely strong secular theme, you know. This is this is a market that's just going to continually expand uh, for the foreseeable future. So, you you when you look at it, it's it's more strategic than buying revenue if you're a suitor, because it's like, oh, I mean, they're already installed. We have an overlap. Uh, We're looking to get into this. Um, We have good synergies. Uh, They're using our product and their product, and it's very easy for our sales reps, you know, to sell this on top of what they're selling. And that's makes them more efficient and it's better for our business. And it's a, it's an easy argument from, 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 from when you look at it at that point. So you're not looking at it as like, Oh, there's, I'm, I'm sucking out this like last few little lives and I, I, I can milk this cash cow because in theory, that's the type of business it could be down the road, right? They should actually, as this use case continues to expand, they should have significantly more 
what do you want to call it? I want to say leverage, but from a pricing power standpoint, if you become that product that nobody wants to mess with and is being widely used in your enterprise, you know, hiking your pricing four or five percent a year isn't an issue. Till the point where you get kind of expensive and someone is like, well, you know what, well, we, we need to really look at switching here because they've gotten too big. Okay. Okay. So disclosures, any other companies, any other positions? No, I don't think, I don't think we talked about anything else, no. And you're not short Everbridge as a... I'm not long, I'm not long at Lassian anymore. No, I'm right. not short Everbridge. I mean, I was short Everbridge in the summer on, on an event trade, but I haven't. You can't be short SaaS stocks. So <laughs> that's, I mean, you can't really be short almost anything but energy. So that's kind of really been the story of the stock market, which is why at this juncture, it's like, you know, I think you got a lot of people who look at the market and are just like, uh, I'd like to short this, but I don't want to get my face ripped off. So I'll just wait. Right. And I don't think anyone can time the next time these valuations change again, because it's just, I mean, it's, it's drastic swings. I mean, if you consider from July to November and then from November to now in software, I mean, uh, the, the, the unanimous driver is just the multiple. Where is it going? I mean, there's been very little that can be explained by individual business performance. But you do get these occasional ones like PagerDuty right now where, yeah, business performance yeah. will stand out. Yeah, well, that's probably the hardest type of market where it's just about the multiple and how confident everybody's feeling. Yeah. It just moves around so much. I mean, it's like, like we said, you can, you've had a 40% movement in Slack uh, in, you know, three weeks and there's been no news. I mean, this thing didn't really react. Their earnings were decent last time they reported. I mean, just a little bit concerned about billings and whatnot, but same story, you know, uh, how much of a threat and how much of a stunting of their growth is Microsoft. And uh, the stock shook it off. And I mean, I think there's an element where people just run out of things to buy and they, they move from one to the next to the next. You know, you may have bought Zoom first and and or, or ServiceNow and S Salesforce and Workday. And then, you know, you work yeah. your way down. Yeah, which is... Distracting if your fundamentals focused looking to pick growing businesses or whatever, but yeah. Well, I mean, how can you? I mean, at this juncture, you know, you look at a lot of these names, you got years of growth that's being priced in, and they're going to have to grow for years. And it's just, it's just going to be the next time the stock market valuation game changes. You know, you're talking 40% potential changes in, in prices again. But nobody, nobody can predict that. I mean, we did. You, you do have those points, like last summer, where you know, once upon a time in tech, and the opportunity was just there, and everything was overheated, and it was the only sector that was really doing amazingly, and and the the you know, fangs had not been as successful, and you you still had beaten down semiconductor names and uh, so many other things, and you got this massive correction. And some stuff has come back. I mean, ironically, the best performing 
SaaS name really of, of the last six months up until a couple of days ago and I looked was Salesforce. If you bought Salesforce six months ago, you know, you've outperformed everybody in in just about anything. Maybe just now recently with the its sharp little rebound Alteryx, but you've outperformed the Atlassians, you've outperformed the service nows, the work days, uh, the Zooms obviously and, and uh, crowd strikes and you know, slacks and without a doubt, you know, right now the pager duty, which is essentially trading at a hair off of its 52 week low. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The leader kind of regaining its force, I guess. Okay. All right. Good stuff. Akram. It's it really interesting. I always enjoy hearing how you're, you kind of take a trade plays out and then you keep an eye on it and go the other way. And so, well, I mean, look, when it comes to shorting, there, particularly if you do short good businesses, I mean, it's not like when you're shorting, let's say, something where it's a business model that you just think is completely broken or whatnot. But if you're shorting a business that you kind of understand and you know it's a competitive dynamic that you're, you're concerned about and you've got a first mover, you got to keep an eye on it, right? And follow up and check up because if it's if that is priced in and it turns and you know, I've got, and I've done this before in the past, you know, I was short Viva and then I went long Viva. And one of the big things that turned me on Viva was, you know, their progress in vault. And the fact that it's just like competitively speaking in, in CRM, there was just, there was nothing right. Which had been an early concern. And well, once you got past that, and of course the CRM 10 being what it was, uh, when they had a new product that was working and you had this acquisition dynamic with EMC and Documentum and, and, and Orphan there, you're like, all right, they're going to do this again. And they're in a good position to do it. And, uh, you know, they have a history of executing and you got to revisit the thesis and uh, you flip it, you know, because the, there is a dynam- dynamism element to this where there are management teams, they adapt, they make changes. and this is not static, you know, like if you go back and, and you talk to people about a competitive dynamic and you come away thinking not only is competition not really a near-term concern, it's also the other end of the spectrum where this may be one of the least likely things to lose customers anytime in the near future. Well, that makes it very appealing. So, you you have to revisit it, and if the data and the facts, you know, are, are telling you something else, and the valuation does start to make somewhat sense, yeah, you can you're going to flip the trade, right? Yeah, and obviously the work that you put in, there's it's also kind of helps you get into that dynamic. So, yeah, you know what to look for, right? Because you're framed one way, so you're essentially trying to tear apart your own argument, and you you have to be open minded to do that. Because you have to basically say, well, you know, this thesis that I laid out then, uh, these points have played out to this degree, but this part of it is not playing out. And this is what I was focused on. And if that's not playing out, then the stock can recover. Yeah. So might as well get out in front of it before other people figure that out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.